The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. The Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free. If you follow the link in the description box for casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to another episode of the Persistent and Nasty podcast. Elaine here. How are you all doing? Well, we're in March and the lighter nights are coming in and it's very exciting. Little bits of hope little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel that is lockdown. I hope that you're all staying well, looking after yourselves, washing your hands, wearing your masks, being kind to yourself and to others. Today's episode we are ridiculously excited about. Today we have the amazing Scottish actress Kate Dickey. I mean if I could give you a fanfare I would. This is everything and uh, we just, it's its just spectacular. It's uh, a podcast full of industry rant, political rant, uh, humans supporting other humans, um, just, you know, joy of joy when we talk about our work, when we talk about the people that we work with and we see them doing well. Um, and just, uh, I mean, I can't find the words because I'm a little bit in love with Kate, so you know, and I think by the end of the episode, you all will be too. As always, you can follow us on all social media, Twitter at Persistent Nasty, Instagram at Persistent and Nasty, Facebook Persistent and Nasty, send us a wee email to persistentandnasty at gmail.com. If you want to support the podcast, there is a PayPal link in the bottom, throw us a wee cup of a, a cuppa? Well, don't throw us a cup because you can't do that right now. But throw us the price of a cuppa is what I was going for, if you can. And um, thank you, as always, to those of you who have supported us and continue to do so. We are beyond grateful. Remember to like, subscribe, download and leave a review. It really does make all the difference to us getting heard by more people than, you know, those wee naughty algorithms. Um <laughs> I'm in a very funny mood today everyone so yeah um I think you should get a cup of coffee tea uh red wine I don't know why red seems to be what I'm 
thinking for today's episode or you know just good old classic water will do just as well um as always sit back relax and enjoy young Misha's still very busy and very popular even in a pandemic she can't help herself (laughs) the inbox is popping your inbox is popping (laughs) oh god Kate Decky, welcome to the Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Woo! Oh. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me on. It's lovely to be here with you guys. I'm so excited. I have a feeling there's going to be lots of pauses of us going, oh my God, Kate Decky's Yeah, No, more like, more like pauses of a gas as y'all just look and go, what is she talking about? <laughs> um uh, yes welcome um why don't we do a little potted history of you kate dickey in case people listening don't know who you are and if you don't what the fuck are they doing with their life like yeah, who are they have they not been watching things on netflix and streaming services this entire time because you're in so much who are these people who don't know who you are exactly. my god what um, drew you to performing Ah, okay. So right back at the beginning. So even as a, I would say even as a toddler and a wee girl, I always liked doing little shows with my parents. Um, always was like pushing myself forward for like any singing parts at primary school and the Christmas shows and stuff. So I always liked doing little things like that. But I don't think I had an awareness that it could be a possibility for someone like me until I was, I was still quite young, but when I was about 10 or 11, this letter came around primary school um, just saying, if you want to join this Saturday morning drama class that we're starting in Craigie College in Ayr, because I was living in Ayr at the time, um, you were to write a letter saying why, and I have no idea what I wrote, but anyway, I got onto into this wee drama group and oh it was like for me it was like because I think before then I'd sang like I'd done some duets and I'd done like Christmas shows and things but I'd never been put in a situation where we became other people like properly stepping into shoes and I don't remember it was like a collaborated kind of improvised show and this is like 1981-82 But I remember it was all quite dystopian, kind of like, because we were going through the kind of nuclear age and the threat and that, and there was kind of, it was like these, we were playing this kind of displaced society, we're all like kind of living in bunkers, and oh, it was quite dark and stuff, and I just was like, oh, wow, so... That's what acting is. I can actually step out of me and forget who I am and actually become other people. And I think I went home that day and said, I'm going to be an actor and or actress, I probably said then. And um, that was it. I just wouldn't shift. So all through my teens, um, I just, that that's all I was going to do. And I just didn't have a plan B or you know, any other kind of thing in mind. And um, I moved about quite a lot as well. Um, Like we moved four times before I left home as a, you know, 18 year old. So I kind of found solace in drama, I think as well, you know, it's never easy being new girl. 
and it's never easy being your girl a name like Dicky, you know, to have the, the word Dick in your name in the 80s moving around. It just wasn't pleasant. So drama was a way, I think, of me escaping into other worlds. And also it just gave me quite a big mouth. You know, I think if you met me, you'd probably think I was sort of confident, outgoing, you know, I talk a lot, but actually my talking kind of is, you know, kind of belies quite a, um, you know, kind of socially awkward, you know, uh, yeah, shy person, shy. I think so many actors are like that though. Yeah. we give off this whole bravado and talk, 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 talk. But the talk is to cover yeah. the fact that internally we're like, fuck, 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 fuck. Yeah, that's it. So drama for me was a real solace as well as being something I just loved. And I think I've always just been fascinated by human behaviour and why people are the way they are, why people act the way they act. If You know, if you meet someone who's really not, pleasant or really not nice to you I just can't help even if you're like oh ouch I'm also like kind of drinking it in thinking why are you like this you know what's happened to make you so frightened that the only way you can react is with you know fear or not being nice or stuff so I'm a big kind of um I just love human behavior as well so yeah, I, I'm lucky in that way that I find it young and kind of had this path and just wouldn't shift. Um, I'm watching my daughter just now, nearly 17, and not really sure what she wants to do with her life. And it looks really tough not to know, you know, where your passion lies yet. Right. So I feel lucky now in kind of hindsight of having that kind of like blinkered, you know. Did you have on those that. moments at school, like, I know I did like a um, career's advice and all that and go in like I'm going to be an actress well I would just say that just as well I'm going to be an actress well Elaine I think maybe you should think about something and I'm like no totally I mean you know that's a good hobby and that's you know something to do in your spare time and you know I mean when I went to my career's teacher I got advised to be a journalist or a social worker. (laughs) I was just like, no, I'm going to be an actress. But I had a really great drama teacher in my second high school uh, called Mr McClyman. He was really encouraging. And um, I think when I look back, I think, you know, I was one of the few that took drama on because I actually wanted to. And I was in a class, a lot of folk who were like, oh, don't have to, you know, do studying and stuff. So I was probably knowing, if, I think if I look back, that you know, I probably talked about wanting to be an actress and, you know, this is what I wanted to do. But Mr McClymouth was really encouraging to help me with auditions for, you know, my drama colleges and stuff. So I had encouragement there. I had encouragement at home, which I was lucky about because school just, I mean, back then anyway, I hope it's changed now for kids at school saying they want to be actors or any kind of creative but back then school didn't encourage it but my mum and dad did they were really encouraging and they were just like look you know you've just got to do what you want to do and you've got to follow your heart and you know no one in the family had done acting or anything but they were very in the camp of like you follow your passion you you have one life and you do exactly what you want to do so 
don't sort of take that on board for, you know, the advice of being a social worker or a journalist, neither of which I would have been any good at. So, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. It's so important yeah. to have that encouragement when you're young, though. Um, yeah. Because we, we, we hear similar stories so often on the podcast and, and quite often they start with, you know, I didn't know that was open to me and I didn't know it was an option, particularly yeah. in relation to creative careers. So having people close to you that say, well, don't listen to them. Do it anyway if it makes you happy. I, yeah. I, I, the value of that is, like, it, can, you can't be, it can't be understated. Um, oh, that's right, you know, because if you don't have that encouragement, how on earth would you ever have the courage or the, even the kind of gumption to go I'm gonna go for it if you don't have any you know I mean plenty of people do it without encouragement but I was just one of the lucky ones who my parents were very <coughs> encouraging about you know whatever you wanted to do um yeah so I had that encouragement and then um, and and missing my climate at, at school and yeah, that was that was a, a a good thing for sure. Those one teachers, isn't it, that always stands out and like it doesn't matter. Like it just, yeah, I'm always like, I hope they know those teachers, like the different yeah. people's lives. Well, that's yeah, it. Well, I'm actually still in touch. I'm still, I'm still in touch in a summer climate because. Um, it probably was through social media actually we reconnected but we're twitter pals so um but we actually bumped into each other out the blue one year at kelvin grove tube station i think it was completely out the blue i think he was up because i was down in defisa galloway when i was at high school and he'd come up to see a show or something with one of his kids and was like kate and i was like oh <gasps> And I remember at that point going, oh my God, you changed your life, blah, 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 because we didn't have social media then. I thought, oh, it's my one chance, you know, to tell him. And then he had, a, oh God, he had a, a video or some kind of DVD um, evidence <laughs> of, of, of me playing Nancy and Oliver when I was <laughs> six. Or seventeen, so he sent me, a, and oh god, I'm just like, oh god, so many bad habits. But anyway, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. So he was great. Yeah, we're in touch on Twitter now, which is lovely. Lovely, That's magic. Shout yeah. out to Mr. McLean, what a hero! Shout out to Ken McLean, you're wonderful. <laughs> Tag him in the uh, tweet. Yeah, you have to. We have to. I'm trying to think what his his Twitter name is, so I must look that up. Because I have a funny feeling it isn't like Ken McClymont, so I'll get back to you what it is. Great. Great. Yeah. College to Kate. So in 1989, I went to the Adam Smith, I went to Kirkcaldy, and I did an NC in drama. And then in 1990, I went to the RSMD then, which is now the Conservatoire, and did a three-year course in, uh, an, uh, sorry, a degree in dramatic studies. I couldn't get on the acting course, so I tried um, the year I went and did the... I was actually rubbish, I, honestly. I look back and I... I I don't know. I think sometimes some people are really good and just have a natural talent from a young, young age. And I certainly had the desire. But when I look back, I think in a way for me, it's some of my kind of, 
I don't know, maybe feeling more known where I am. We're acting has kind of come with experience and age and just maybe feeling a bit more secure in my own skin. I don't know. I don't know. It's a funny one, isn't it? It's a funny one. I don't know how you all feel. But... That, I think that's... Um, I know the older I've got, definitely, I feel more confident. Because there's like, you know, talking about, I didn't, when you mentioned earlier about, I didn't think that was for me and not coming from a family that's got any kind of background in performing arts or anything. Yeah. It's like, there's that imposter syndrome we've kind of talked about. Oh, it's last terrible. Oh, it eats away at you so much. And I always wonder, and I'm sure, I'm sure the uh, guys have it really bad, but our industry really pits women against each other so much. Yeah. And even at drama school, it starts so early on. That yeah, it's just yeah, it's a it's, um, it is, the imposter syndrome, the thing you talk about, it's crippling. And actually, because I pulled me so much, I never got an agent then for nine years. I mean, oh, I'm so strange, I wasted so much time, but in a way, I think, well, maybe I didn't waste it, it was just me. But I was dealing with things. My mum was really, really ill when I was at drama school. My mum got um. Alzheimer's but she got it in her late 40s and it was just it was terrible we went through a terrible time poor soul and actually had got it um before even Alzheimer's society existed and things so we just kind of muddled along with it as best we could as a family um on our own and it all ended up because Anyway, it all ended up when she got sectioned and put in a psychiatric hospital, which just wasn't, it wasn't a good place for her because there was a lot of disturbed people there and my mum was very anxious and it was, anyway, I was dealing with that. So after college, I went and lived in Holland for a year, I kind of, yeah, I was a bit of a lost soul and also just didn't have a lot of confidence. So I didn't believe in myself enough to get an agent and I was embarrassed to call myself an actress because working class people or well, actress, I just felt like, you know, oh, I'm just really embarrassed. And, you know, you get into a thing where you people say, what do you do? And you're like, oh, I do drama. And they're like, what do you mean you do drama? And you're like, are you a teacher? And you're like, no, I do drama. And they're like, what do you mean? You end up saying, oh, well, act. Oh, you're an actor. <laughs> yeah, maybe should have said that at the beginning, but I just found the whole thing. <laughs> because I just thought, how can I call myself an actor if I'm not, I don't feel I'm good enough and things. Anyway, every time I got a job, I'd phone my sister and be like, oh, I'm going to be found out, I'm going to be found out. Eventually, I don't know how many years down the line, she was just like, fuck off. Like, if you phone me one more time after you get a job and tell me you're going to be found out, I'm not taking these calls anymore. I'm not doing it. So you just have to either find someone else to call or deal with it. And that was a kind of, you know, a slow, very tiny turning point of me going, I have to accept that either I'm doing this or I don't, but I just didn't know how to fit in it comfortably, really, I guess. You know? I love that. I love that your, your sister was like, I'm not enabling this imposter syndrome anymore. You're not an imposter and I'm not facilitating it. Oh, the poor soul, you know, and every time I got a theatre job, I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to be found out. No, they're going to be like, how did she manage to get work? And, you know, this whole thing would start. So, yeah, I oh. think it's just, it's just a process, unless you're lucky enough to feel, you know, which is great. You know, more, I wish more people did feel confident in themselves, you know. It's, 
it's not a necessary path to go down you know no one needs to be tortured to be creative it's just a, yeah. a misconception oh, God, yeah. you know Mm-hmm. Um, you know you can you can you know use your your creative you know ways of kind of exploring different things you're feeling or use it as an outlet but you don't have to be a tortured skin you know under seat yeah. so cool to you know but it takes time to work through the oh, process I think you know and, so I think I was, it's really, a slow burner. <laughs> really important to share that though because there's so many people that would look at your career and never think for a second that you would have those doubts and or that you didn't have an agent for nine years and all of those things and just for somebody who like it's just those little moments for for people are just like oh god right we're all actually just the same and we're all it doesn't matter what level we're at we're all just trying to find our way through Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. And I would just say, and I think, you know, as you say, you know, I love men, so I'm not going on an anti-man rant or anything. But I think we let, you know, we do, or I think we live in a world that's set up to give men as smooth a passage through life as possible. And as women throughout history, and you know, obviously even now slowly the things are changing, but you know, you've got a lot of layers to deal with to find confidence, you know, and I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I think um, I would just like, you know, always my advice when I speak to you, what's your advice to young actors? I'm like, just, you know, embrace yourself, be confident, you know, don't waste time like I did, you know, waste. I I don't like to talk about it as waste, actually. It was just life going on and, and, you know, it brought me to where I am and I am who I am and it is what it is. But I do wish, in a way, that I'd maybe just, I don't know, find myself quicker, basically, you know? Because I didn't make my first film until I was 35 and you're already, you know, I did theatre till then and I hadn't really thought about doing film it wasn't like oh I'm aiming to do film I was doing theatre and you know bits of telly and I've done a short film and and Red Road kind of came out the blue but going into the film industry in your mid-30s you know it's an industry that's already you know um Again, it's slowly changing, but it's already against you, you know, age-wise and things as a woman, if you're not a young woman. So it's just, I've went things about things quite, like, in a different way. But it's, it's you know, it's it's fine. It's just, um, yeah, I just don't want people to spend time doubting and doubting themselves so much that, you know, I don't know, time's precious, life's precious. People are much more wonderful than they realise, you know, and it's only in hindsight. And I don't mean I'm looking back going, oh, my God, I was wonderful. I certainly don't. But I just think, ah, I wish in a way I'd just been able to be a bit braver or a bit more, you know, like have the, like I didn't even have ambition because if you have imposter syndrome, how can you have ambition? You know, how can Mm. you what do you aim for if you feel that you know you're worrying about being found out (laughs) yeah so yeah it took me time to find my feet you know and and just do it my own way really I guess which is also good you know it's also fine and as you say Mm. it's who you are now and it's the person that you are so it's Mm -hmm. all of that yeah 
what was that first experience like that red road experience like because obviously it was so like because I remember when red road came out and it was you know everything there was so much kind of there was so much discussion about it and stuff uh, I, I I couldn't have been in more beautiful, brilliant hands as I was in Andrea Arnold's. I, I can't praise Andrea enough. She's the most amazing, clever, beautiful soul who also makes amazing, brilliant films. And I was so green about the film world. I had no idea. And actually in theatre, I feel, you know, like when it comes to like, you know, like talk, if you're talking about playing leads and things, I feel it's a much more equal world. So I didn't, I didn't think anything about playing the lead in Red Road or it being a big deal that I was in every single scene. And, you know, I remember Andrew saying, you know, you'll be in every single scene, so there'll be no time off. Or I said, yeah, 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 you know, you come from the theatre world, that's that's what it's like anyway. And I just didn't know that at that point that would be one of the most incredible parts that would ever come my way and, 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 and the layers of that. And I mean, because I played, I love all my characters, but as a woman... You know, you're not always leading a film. It's not all the camera. It's not always through a female gaze like Andrea's. Um, so I was spoiled rotten. I had a, an amazing time and just decided to throw myself in. If I was going to commit to the script, I was going to commit to every single scene in that, which included, you know, some really full-on things and I don't just mean a sex scene or you know violence or that I mean vulnerability and and playing a character who doesn't always act in necessarily a likable way you know and and or an understandable way and then I feel I've got a lot to thank Andrea for because although that's like what I was interested in theatre Doing Red Road is my first film, just made me know exactly like the kind of films or characters, I should say, not films, um, but characters that really interest me or stories that I want to tell. Um, because there's a lot of stories out there to be told that aren't necessarily popular or pretty or um, comfortable. Um, are welcome but they deserve to be told you know every single one of us sitting you know in our chair at a cinema or in front of the telly deserves at least once in our life to go oh my god that's me like I never thought I would ever see you know what I have gone through or what I think being depicted and every member of society deserves that not a certain white, you know, rich society, not a certain white anything, you know, much more diverse stories need to be told. And not just in films, you know, I, I mean, I'm going on a rant now, but history keep is going, his, <laughs> but history is his story. And even that, I'm like, so if we went right back to time and really heard from the, and I'm not meaning to eradicate the stories we've got I just mean get the female gaze out there so that because you know perspectives are all important and they're all interesting so 
Um, yeah, I'm going. I went in such a rant there, but Red Road was incredible for so many reasons. Um, and I'm just so fond of Andrea, and we stayed friends. And oh, I love her films. I love her um, view and life and the story she tells. You know, yeah. Lucky me, very spoiled. <laughs> amazing because they, they, those sort of characters and stories just don't come along very often for the exact reasons that you say that the film industry has been kind of dominated by the male gaze for so long that it, like you say it's not that we don't want those stories anymore they just need to make a little room just budge up the bench a wee bit and make room for yeah, more and, I, and also not to assume that people aren't interested, like that men wouldn't be interested in, in a female story or men only, you know, it's just a disservice to us, but it's also a disservice to men as well and a disservice especially to our young boys who have been brought into this world, you know, and I don't remember all the bullshit with toy shops and the pink and the blue, you know, when I was growing up, you know, you got your hand-me-downs, so... You coveted whatever toy my big sister had had at about 10 year old, but I'd been waiting for that toy. If I was lucky enough to go to a toy shop, I just remember a, a toy shop. I don't remember being asked to wear tops that say princess is sparkly. And I don't remember being diminished as much as that as a, a wee girl. I'm sure I was in much more subliminal ways. But now, I mean, Molly's, my daughter's nearly 17, but she used to get, like, really upset. We'd go to a shop, she'd always look at the boys section with the dinosaurs and the, you know, and she'd be like, I want, I'd like, go over there and get whatever you like. Do not let a shop tell you that you should only like a pink top. Now, pink tops with sparkly unicorns are great if that's what you're into, but you shouldn't be told that that's that's the sum of you and that you shouldn't have a curious mind about history and dinosaurs you shouldn't want to pick up a tool and fix underneath the sink as a wee girl when you watch your dad do you know there's so many kind of invisible things going on from a young girl and I feel much more now for young people I just well when I look at shops anyway when it comes to clothes and toys Unless it was so rare, I got into a toy shop that, you know, maybe it was like that. And it was just, it wasn't a toy shop I was in, maybe it was a back-end news agent. I don't know. We lived in, like, small places. I was never in a, a you know, a shopping centre or in, But I don't remember the division. So there's quite a lot to fight against, you know. Um, but anyway, I think it's diminishing people just to say that women's stories are only for women. It's like, or... or action films are only for men or whoever however we diminish our population you know it's um yeah it's it's wild wild um so yeah from from red road to toy shops how'd I do it <laughs> I mean it's a, a fabulous segue this is the insight into my brain it's 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 wild <laughs> Oh, it's right. like a toy store and you just look and you're like wow I'm so much oh I'm sorry that's also probably because I'm not had much conversation do you know what I mean I'm not <laughs> down I'm like oh wow I've got three people to chat to <laughs> so, yeah but um yeah so I was very spoiled with Red Rhodes and um
until you know as 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 the years go by and you go oh wow that really was like a gift of a part in so many ways so mm. many ways um I probably the, the biggest way for me was just getting to work with someone like Andrea and and be like sort of taught I mean the most thing I think Andrea said in the shoot was less 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 Kate less 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 because <laughs> I come from theatre you know and I was yeah I didn't realize like a whisper on screen or even thinking something would show you know because you're so used to theater you know there's something different isn't there when you're sharing like a visceral breath with an audience or a live audience and they do there's fidgeting or they're just air noise or you're thinking about the people in the back row or that and in film you just have to have a thought in your head and the audience can either see it or they know something's going on and they want to work it out it's it was um through me making many clunky mistakes through the years of (laughs) oh gosh actually yeah it really is just being that person then and not having to show and tell anything really you know in fact most of us hide things in life don't we how are you oh I'm fine and your life is falling to shit so why would you suddenly be there showing everything on a film or in a you know so I'm very curious about what goes on behind closed doors. And I don't mean in people's flats. I'm not nosy like that, but I mean in people's heads, you know. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not interested in coming around and poking through your drawers. <laughs> Kate's got her binoculars. Like, <laughs> <laughs> There's a way for me to be anti-social still, how never to be invited to anywhere. <laughs> Everybody's just, like, yeah. Hey. Kate's going to be uh, yeah. the drawers, maybe don't ask her around. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm just so fascinated with what goes on and, the, you know, when, I don't know, the facade we all put on and actually, you know, what you're actually dealing with for real. It's, um, yeah, humans are amazing at, at being able to compartmentalise and, you know, and we are amazing creatures, really, how we can sort of have so much going on in our lives and present ourselves in certain ways and I think it's important to see that in film and not have things too pat or too rounded or too everything works itself out because it just isn't like that in life. Yeah I think what you said about um like being able to explore vulnerability is really interesting like because it's quite different showing vulnerability on stage and showing yeah. vulnerability in film and yeah and how how did you find it then watching back the film like and seeing those kind of moments of vulnerability was that like because because it is a different yeah well watching back <laughs> there's a whole another story isn't there it's a whole other beast isn't it back not quite got the grasp of the watching back yet so my tale of watching Red Road back was it ended up getting into Cannes and in competition and it was a very quick edit so my first experience of seeing Red Road was in Cannes with two and a half thousand people like in the main on a Saturday night in the main and I was so green about film so Andrea phoned me up she's like oh it's such great news we're getting to competition at Cannes and I was like oh cool 
what does that mean? Like, is that good? And she was like, I don't know what in competition means. She was like, oh, yeah, no, it's good, Kate. So then... Um, my stomach you know, just flipped at you saying that. <laughs> like, it literally just... I literally felt my stomach go... Huh, uh. <laughs> and, like, it was before really Googling. Like, now I would Google something probably. Anyway, my, I'm feeling sick at the thought of it as well. So Kenny's parents... Um, and, you know, my parents are both dead. They said, but, but Kenny's family said, oh, you know, should we come? And I was like, oh, like, it's a film festival. You know, I'll just go on my own. It's no big deal. You know, I'll just go on, you know. Oh, <laughs> oh it was such a big deal. And then, so anyway, we got to the... <laughs> and I was there for a kind of few days before the premiere doing press the world press I did press for three days having barely ever done an interview in my life and it was like doing press from 10 in the morning to 6 at night like 10 minutes here's Russia I got 10 minutes here's China or here's Australia here's like thrown in so after I'd done that I said like, this is quite a bit <laughs> um, we got to the premiere and I just took fright I just had an absolute panic attack so Andrew and our partner come round to pick me up to go to the red carpet or to get in the car and I was in my beautiful dress like just sobbing my heart out and just saying I, I've changed my mind um, I'm just going to stay in the room and you go and just tell me if it goes okay and they were like, oh, no, Kate, you need to come. So anyway, all came with Andrew and our partner. And I had, honestly, I said, but I had my fingers around the door jam by this point. So they were trying to kind of hustle me out of the room. I had my fingers around the door jam and they were like physically pulling me. And he had to physically unprimed. Well, I was just like, I can't go, I can't go. Anyway, I got there and I had an absolutely brilliant <laughs> It was <laughs> because I managed to get there, and it was in such a panic. And then we waited so long like half an hour at the red carpet. You wait, I just thought we'd go in there and get in there and get the seat. But you wait, and kind of there's music playing, and there's crowds, and like all the rest of the cast. And Tony Cardin was there, my beautiful co star. And you know, once I'd kind of got over the shock and just thought, wow, this is an exciting thing. So we went in and watched the film and that was, um, <laughs> I mean, I think Tony and I, by the time we got to the sex scene, we're just like, clang again, I did a lot of clinging that night, like clinging <laughs> to each other. And I'd also hunched to the point, I think I was like nearly laid out in the aisle because I was so red. <laughs> and I just, oh, anyway, so I have no memory of anything to do with vulnerability. <laughs> It was just hanging in there and, and getting through it with the help of, you know, lovely, lovely Tony and Martin and Natalie Press and Andrea and our lovely producer. And, yeah, and I remember going home and just crying and crying and crying with Kenny because I said, and Kenny had to work. He was working in Dundee at the time and he was doing a show so he couldn't come away. He was a head of sound there at the time. And crying and just saying, I'm never going to go through that again. And I had nobody to share it with, you know. And it was just a sort of enormity. Like, I was like, oh, I'm out of film festival. Yeah, you know, this is going to be fun. And I just didn't know that it was 
like it was a really big deal and then I just came over and I was trying to describe it all I just ended up crying just going there's no words for that it was just it was and so it was an equal measure of utter terror and utter thrill just thrill you know (laughs) that's Um, incredible yeah, and then I spent a year, about a year having to watch the film because I went round it with different film festivals and it was it was quite good for me then because I could take a step back by during that year and then halfway through the year I found out that, oh, not everyone goes in. Oh, I'm so green. I didn't realise, I thought it would look rude if you didn't go into the screening and watch it with the audience. I was going into every screening, you know, and watching it thinking, wow, it'd be good maybe not to watch it every time. And someone said, oh, do you go in? And I was like, what, do you know? And they were like, well, maybe the first couple of times I have, but no, I just go to the Q&A after. And I was like, oh. So I stopped putting myself through it. And now I don't really watch the stuff. I go to a premiere, obviously, you know, to support it and to see everyone and, you know, support the film. But I'm not someone who would sit down and, you know, oh, I'll go through my old films or watch my stuff again. I just, I'm just looking for all the, the mistakes I made, the faults. I mean, you'll understand that. Um, you know, why did I make that decision? Oh, everyone was great until I turned up. <laughs> Another film I've ruined, another TV series I've, you know, and I'm so sick of that voice that I'm just not doing it to myself anymore. However, God, I bet you didn't realise I would talk so much. You'd be like, oh, God, she never shuts up. (laughs) I would like to get, I'm now getting to an age, I think, Kate, it's your, your, you know, it's your... it's your business, it's your career. And and if you want to get better, which I always do, how are you going to get better if you can't watch someone objectively and go, oh, rather than going, oh, God, why did I ruin it? Go, okay, why did you think that was a wrong? Or why did you feel that wasn't a right decision? Or why do you feel you've turned up and ruined it? And actually just try and be a bit more um, objective and maybe less... <laughs> kinder you know, to yourself you need to be kinder to yourself kinder and less I guess just get over it and I don't mean I'm gonna I've got, I don't have an ego but get over that oh, oh, oh god I hate watching myself just do it because it's your job and you want to be as good as you can so mm. part of being I, I don't know what other actors do I'm, I never really ask but I'm guessing well, I don't know, maybe there is lots of people like me who don't watch, but I feel now, I feel I should be more accountable and more responsible and actually looking at things and going, okay, if you didn't like that, what was it you didn't like? What would you do better? Like, oh, and then I say all that and I'm like, am I really going to sit down and be like, oh, I think I'll have a wee look at For Those in Peril or something and see, you know. So it's really hard, isn't it? Why do you, what do you do? What, I mean, what happens? What do other people do? I mean, I can't watch myself. There's yeah. things I've done I've never seen. I can't do it. Um, I'm yeah. exactly the same. I do that thing where I go, why did they put me in that? I've Get that away from me. Like, it's terrible. See, and it's, I know it's, I shouldn't, but... It's not it's, good, is it? It's That's not, not good, good. And it's so it's funny just... because, you know, you're both saying that and I'm going, oh my God, like, what are you not seeing? Because I'm seeing 
incredible performer I'm seeing oh. me, you know all of that and I'm like but then if you were to ask me what I see when I watch myself it's not that I mean yeah. and I, I, I guess we're like that in life aren't we I mean yeah. you know you you know at one point you know in my 40s I would look in the mirror and be like oh and my whole face you know would fall and I would stare and be like oh and my boyfriend eventually said, for Christ's sake, you don't walk about in life like, oh, you know, <laughs> look at <laughs> You are presenting the most miserable, oldest version of yourself you can find. Because as soon as you look at yourself, your whole face falls, your whole demeanor falls, and you, and you don't walk about like that. You're cheery. You're, so just stop. <laughs> I thought you're right. You were so mean to ourselves. We really we're are. So mean to ourselves, and it has to, like, it has to. You know. Oh, I just hope I've got much hope in the younger generation. Just being a lot more on top of things, mm. a lot more woke in the way that they just. If there's an issue, let's fix it. Let's not just put up with something, or let's not just go oh, this is the way I am, or let's not let people ridicule us or, t- or diminish us. You know, I really, really want that for for younger people. I want us to be like a dinosaur time. And we're like, remember when people used to behave like this? And, you know, you said... <laughs> But then I'm like, are we just humans? And will we evolve that much? You know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just wondering about something you said about the enormity of it all, because you're you're like, you know, I'm just going to say it. You're one of my favourite actors. I think you're phenomenal. And you've got such an incredible body of work. And it's so, so many things are so different from one character to the next. And I'm just wondering, do you ever do you ever get over the enormity of certain things? Like you've done everything from Star Wars to like Prometheus, Game of Thrones. Do you ever have a moment? Do you get used to that or do you still have uh, that contest? Oh, like God. That? Oh, gosh, no, no. I mean, again, you'll not be surprised, you know. This, the, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest fear I went through, actually, was on Prometheus because, you know, and I'd met Ridley in person. It wasn't like I'd been cast, you know, through, you know, a fifth person. And um, so, but I got there and just managed to convince myself that, they got me mixed up with someone else, <laughs> a different king, and because the caliber, of the actors, the cast were so amazing, the sets were so amazing, Ridley's so amazing that I just got the absolute fear and my imposter syndrome. The, the first month in that, I was so frightened, just frightened about. <gasps> I don't know if I don't attract attention, maybe I think that you know duck my way through this and you know the cast were just so kind to me Ridley was a beautiful soul to work with and over the weeks um I just started to settle down and started to take a breath and uh, like Michael Fassbender was so kind to me like really put me at my ease and um, I mean everyone I just it was a beautiful cast and there was no, it felt like quite a tight unit, you know, it really was. There was no feeling of anyone being out of it. So it just gave me enough space to go, actually, just enjoy this, Kate. This is, again, such a great opportunity. Don't waste it by 
reciting you shouldn't be there and then finishing it and going, oh, I wasted all that time. And also, I'm there to do a job as best I can. Don't waste it by worrying. Um, so the first month, I was really overwhelmed. And then once I'd settled down, and also, I think you just have to remind yourself, even though everything's on a bigger scale, <coughs> your job as an actor is the same. You're there to tell a story. You're there to be a character. The character's world might be much, much bigger than you're used to or much more, I don't know, bigger in every scale. But at the end of the day, your job is to be as truthful and as 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 as, as tell their story as best you can. And I think, I think if you can keep sight of that and keep your character's journey and their story the most important thing to you and everything, um, then it just helps you not lose sight of things and not get overwhelmed because it is easy to get that absolute fear walking on a set and in Star Wars again it was just or Ryan Johnson's a beautiful soul oh, everyone was lovely and again you walk on the set and be like oh but you've got one day you know one day I had to just say my lines and be good you know and in such a big scale and so much you know money and you know so much people with so much more than you to do you don't want to be that person who's just so you know fearful you can't speak so you just have to guard your loins really and and just get on with the job really mm. yeah I mean I'm not in big things that much um I'm normally doing indies at Game of Thrones again um I just had such a great character to play um, <laughs> oh, she was <laughs> And that was like so much fun. Oh, <laughs> the most hated woman in telly, I think. However, and I really get the hate for lies that I do because she is a difficult person to like. Oh, gosh. She was um, so, you know, her ego was so fragile. She was so damaged. But again, like, from my point of view, I was being a really damaged woman. And I had an uh, like a, a, a responsibility to play her as truthfully I could in that world um, as possible. And I didn't want her to become a pantomime character. And, you know, I, I was very aware that although she acted in horrible ways and did things that were just bizarre, there always had to be a truth. There had to be reasons for this behaviour. I mean, you go back to Eliza, her past is so sad. And when she was a teenager, she was really, I mean, she was in love with Littlefinger all her life. And she got pregnant by Littlefinger when she was like 17 and her dad forced her into an abortion and then married her off to this really old man, John Aaron. And Littlefinger was always in love with Kat. But all her life, Liza was in love with Littlefinger, but married this old man. And Littlefinger just played her. But in this marriage with John Aaron, she had multiple, multiple miscarriages, stillbirths. She just lost a lot of babies. So because my thing with Liza is like, why is this woman still breastfeeding her son to a point where it really feels this is not for him anymore? You know, this seems to be for her. It was just an odd 
odd relationship. There was something odd about it all. And when I looked back, I just thought she can't not stop babying him. Like she's still babying this very precious boy. You know, she's managed for one child. And by the end of our, you know, our last sort of stillbirth, she lost her mind, had a breakdown and never really recovered. And then managed to have her son. But by that point was pretty ill and and just was also living in a situation where no one said no to her so this behavior oh so many things about Liza so yeah she was great and I think um, again it was uh, like a big family in Game of Thrones and and uh, you know the sets were huge and beautiful and and, you know, there was a lot of people on the sets, but it was very personable to be on and, and people were really friendly. And so, uh, and I think I just was so kind of caught up in what was going on with Liza that I just kind of flung myself into her and had a great time on that. So I've been lucky to play characters that are maybe not... Um, the most popular, but definitely have stories that are really important or behaviour that's important to show that I feel anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, getting to play characters that complex, that that must be, like, that's the gift, isn't it? That's what you want, really, isn't it? You want yeah, the complexity yeah. and the difficulty and the, and the mesh yeah. and the... Yeah, that, you know, definitely because that's life, isn't it? That's humans. That's what we're all going through, and that's what you want to see. You know, you want to, you want to see that, or I do anyway. Actually, I say that we want to see. She says everyone. You know, I don't know what people <laughs> like watching, but I like watching the, you know, the stuff that is challenging or would challenge a, a thought process I have or an opinion or it's great to get shaken up you know it really is great to be shaken up and challenged and yeah and, and grow an empathy and things absolutely and if you can chuck a few fire breathing dragons in there so much the better you know <laughs> I know all the dragons <gasps> wow what a show eh what I have to I have to do a disclaimer. I have never seen You've not watched it. Oh you have to watch it sometime. Honestly, you like I remember at the beginning with the skits and I loved them so much, but it was before well, it was before Game of Thrones, really, but it was before like it was quite a niche thing, Dungeons and Dragons and kind of role play and conventions and it's quite a niche thing. And I remember at the first read through being like, oh, I wonder if anyone will watch this, you know? Because <laughs> I thought the scripts were amazing. But I was just like, I wonder if the general population will be into, you know, the more fantastical. Mm. But wow, honestly, the... Like, I remember when I thought, oh, this is really taken off. And it was when people, it was when the age group that were recognising me or wanting to come up and talk to me about it went from being quite young people to, like, women in their 60s and <laughs> women coming up with their boy, like, their partner and their families and be like, oh, my God, we'll watch it every week as a family. Or women saying, I just never thought this would ever be my cup of tea but it is a big like I don't mean so popular but you know it's, it's so many layers of 
families feuding and complex relationships and so much going on in it and so many layers to it and, and, and story arcs at last like for series you know really clever writing and I mean I never watched it for the first while either because I didn't have the channel and then Oh, I was like, oh, I get nervous because I'm in it. Oh, I'm going to ruin it. And then it started to get quite big and I got scared. But then I was starting to do some conventions and I had no idea what people were talking about. And I thought, okay, Kate, you're going to have to sit down, get over either that or just don't watch your scenes. But you need to watch it. And I really loved it, like really loved it and cried and heads behind my fingers at a lot of the violence there's a lot of you know like full-on stuff but it's a full-on world and there's full-on emotions and full-on you know everyone's heightened and but beautiful writing and performances and beautiful sets and the costumes and the hate I mean so yeah the production values are just stunning it is a complete masterpiece, but I think what's exciting is that it's got storylines for everyone. And it like yeah. I think because it is another world, like you feel the whole world. So yeah. it's so immersive to just yeah. Work. And and yeah. Yeah. I will, yeah. I will watch it. Do you know what it was? It was one of those things I didn't have, like I don't I don't have Sky because it was on obviously. Yeah, yeah. Sky. And then I can be really funny when programs start taking off and they're really huge and everybody's talking about them. I'm like, I'm not going to watch it. Hi there, John Scottish like person. This. Not like that because I think, oh, I'm not going to like it. I just get panicked by the level of love for it that I worry <gasps> my expectations get so high that I end up just being like, oh, I was expecting it to be. So I've not seen, oh God, like shamefully so much stuff. The Wire, like Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, so many things because I get really overwhelmed and anxious about having 72 episodes of something to watch. You know, I just get overwhelmed with the whole thing and end up getting really late to the party, like, you know, I just watched Fleabag. Oh my God, have you seen it? <laughs> and for oh, yeah. some reason, when it came out, I was like, oh, I'm going to open the usual planet. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't know if I'm going to like it. So I didn't watch it. And then ended up watching it last year. I'm literally crying and crying and laughing and <clears throat> such a roller coaster. Amazing, amazing. Same with, oh my God, I may destroy you. <gasps> Michaela Coles, oh my God, like one of the best things I've ever, ever seen. And actually, oh, waiting every week for that next episode was torture because we get so used to everything being there and waiting for, like, I literally would get really excited on Sunday going to bed, knowing that in the Monday, like, the next I may destroy you. And this is it. You know, I think there was four or, no, there was, I can't remember. It wasn't, like, a massive, big, long, long series. And But waiting for each one and, and going through to my daughter and saying that will be one of the most important pieces of TV you can ever, ever watch about consent about what it's like to be a young person what it's like to try and navigate the world 
after having oh, Michaela Cole, jeez, so amazing. And again, sobbed and wept and cried. But that, I May Destroy You, really did destroy me. Most, most important TV. It should be shown at every bloody school to young people. Like, I don't mean, I'm not saying primary one, but I mean, like, young teenagers are about to navigate so many things, you know, so many things. Wow. What a piece of what an absolute piece of nonsense that that didn't get any acknowledgement at the uh, I think it was the end. Oh, oh, like, oh, stop, stop. I, I, I couldn't I, believe it. I could not believe I, it. I was like, really? Not even stop. one, like one nod? Like that's, that's astonishing. Uh, 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 see, I'm absolutely I, I, I was devastated and gobsmacked and so angry about that. You know, amazing. It's like, oh, just like, uh, yeah. There's so many things in our world that people just need to, just need to wake up and get over and like, just like, why are people, oh, anyway. There's so many things that I just don't understand about. (laughs) I really don't. Yeah. Anyway, um, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey did their obviously opening monologue for the Golden Globes and they did mention the fact that there's such a lack of uh, certain programmes and uh, inclusivity um, and they made the point about it because obviously, I mean, I think the fact that everybody was yeah. there, so Emily in Paris gets nominated for a Golden Globe but I may destroy you didn't and everybody's like, what the fuck is going on? What's going on? What's going um, on? What's actually, going talking on? about Golden Globes. Don't, I was about to say, please, can I be really excited about Anya when I'm from Queen's Gambit because she's fucking incredible, amazing, amazing actress, beautiful, brilliant friend, so proud of her, so talented, worked really hard. Yeah. Oh, so I know. Proud. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So thrilled for her, and yeah, I just yeah, the world's an oyster, and it should be. She's, I've worked with her, and I've watched her, and she's one of the most talented, talented actresses I've ever you know met, watched, worked with in my life. Amazing woman, and beautiful, beautiful soul. Yeah, beautiful soul. So, yeah, full of pride for her, <laughs> so much pride. Um, yeah, and so much happiness. And, oh, it's just wonderful when you see your friends do great. And, oh, The Queen's Gambit was a beautiful show, wasn't it? Amazing. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful, brilliant. I loved it all. I really did. Genuinely loved it. And also, it's like, oh, I must try chess. Never tried chess <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I haven't tried it yet. But I was like, oh, suddenly, suddenly, you know, chess is looking amazing. It's funny how certain things can sway, you know, like popular culture and things. I think chess was the most giggled word of Google in whatever long, you know. Um, But yeah, absolutely, the diversity and, you know, it's such an issue and it has to stop. It, it, the world is diverse and we need it to be. 
it, it like reflected properly and not as a nod and not as a, oh, let's tick this box. It's nonsense, all that. It needs to be genuine. And, you know, I want to hear lots of different stories from different people and different backgrounds. And, you know, it's again, it's diminishing. Oh, it's, yeah. Another rant. Another <laughs> rant. Yeah, it just limits yeah. us. It, it limits a because yeah, they're putting limitations on us when actually what we all want to see, as you said earlier on, everybody should have that moment of seeing them their story or their life on screen at some point. Like absolutely, 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 and all the absolutely, and the whitewashing that goes on is just you know it's disgusting, and it has to stop. It has to stop, you know. And it goes back to going to the school curriculum again and telling the truth, telling history as it happened. Stop omitting people from history. Stop omitting black people or, you know, people of minority ethnic or anyone that's been passed. Stop omitting them and pretending it's been one way. And, you know, the whole empire and the racism and, ugh, you know, it's shameful and it needs to be held up to a light and not hidden away and not made excuses. It needs to be looked at and... You know, we all need to take a part in, in, you know, there being accountability for why the world is the way it is and why is, you know, as much as women would feel, you know, a world is enabling, you know, for men, it's certainly enabling for you if you're white, you know, and, Absolutely. you know, we're all people of the world and for goodness sake, it's... And, um, um, you know, Brexit, it makes me despair, you know, it really makes me despair of of where we are heading. It's frightening, it's depressing, and I don't want to be a part of that, you know. I really don't. I don't want a part of being a right-wing, racist, small island that shuts its gates to people and doesn't understand the beauty and the... The, the positivity of migration and the fact that migration has bloody went on since the beginning of time. It's how the world evolves and works, you know, and it's bullshit. And, and, and we've got a Tory government who basically, it actually upsets me to the point of just picking in a very vulnerable part of society, you know, refugees fleeing for their lives. Nobody gets in a fucking dinghy with their babies and decides that they'll flee for their life for 30 quid a week benefit. Come on. And that is what it kind of gets touted at. And, it, and as a person in Britain, you can barely get benefits. It's made difficult enough for people who are even, you know, so don't tell me that you know, because people live in a different country and they're not British, that actually they would put their children in danger and decide for this, whatever the money is, whatever they bullshit they say that they're coming in their droves. And they're talking about people in swarms, droves, floods. It's, you know, the weaponry of a language around this subject and around many subjects is so powerful and manipulative and it seeps into culture and then you're getting farages and folk getting platforms and question time and being normalized and being 
you know, and giving voices to people that used to be, you know, in the 80s, I know, I mean, there was terrible things going on, but you would, or 90s, I don't know, but back, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't whisper a, a thing that folks say out loud now with pride, the racist stuff that gets said on online or the things that people will say brazenly that you're like, wow, how did we get to a point where you think that's okay to say and you've no shame, you're not, you're not it's not a, a shameful secret that you have right-wing racist views that you think actually you've got this entitlement. You've got this entitlement because we've got a country run by right-wing enabling racist white businessmen who basically want to make money and have managed to, you know, give all their buddies and all the, you know, it's, you know... And then you're locking up, you're vulnerable, you're locking up, you're poverty-stricken, you're locking up women who can't pay fines, you're locking up someone who's stealing because they don't have enough money, but you're not locking up the bankers, you're not locking up the real criminals at the top. And, and another thing they want us to do is they want all the public pitched against each other. So they want, say, homeless pitched against refugees, say, the, the poor pitched against the homeless, the working class pitched against the poor, the middle class pitched against the working class. While we're all fighting and arguing over stuff at the top, on the top layer, it's where all the crime and the really bad stuff is happening. But we're all so busy shouting at each other on Twitter and you know, got caught up in this, you know, vortex of <laughs> each other. But it's at the top. It comes from the top. So, oh, where did I, how did I get onto this? I feel like mad rant. I'm just it, giving it, you, I'm just sorry. like, and Sarah, I'm so <laughs> oh God! I'm like, oh God, this is the air. I must <laughs> But no, I just I don't know. I guess what lockdown does as well is gives you lots of time to reflect instead of just powering on through life and things being as they can be. You're kind of looking at things, or maybe you know, if you have the luxury of having time in your hands to sit back and look at things, or. I don't know, just seeing a kind of veil has been kind of pulled from my eyes and, and just seeing how, you know, how the world's, you know, how, you know, the politicians are manipulating everything really and it's shocking and it's awful and, ugh. So anyway, I'm just hoping all this kind of dinosaur stuff gets just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed to the point that our beautiful youth come running forward with all their open-mindedness, with all their, you know, inclusive, I can't even say the word, but inclusive. Inclusivity. <laughs> and literally embracing, you know, be whoever you want to be, be what you are, you know. Yeah, I really said it best that the children are our future. She was yes. right. Oh, <laughs> oh, they really are, you know, they really are. They really are. So, yeah. Um, I'm so aware of time, although I'm like, we <laughs> just keep talking. But, um, sorry, I just ran time. I would love to ask one question that we've not asked in a while as a kind of like precursory final question. 
is there a woman or yeah is there a woman who really inspires you anyone who's who you look at and you're like you the like either who you want to work with or who you just think is- yes yes and my old mushy brain I can't remember amazing women in American politics Cortez uh, uh, Alexandria Cortez yes oh. I think she's incredible. I just think she's amazing. And she's kind of what I'm talking about, this force of, of I don't know, I was going to say force of nature. And then I'm like, is this because she's a woman? I'm saying she's a force of nature. And men talked about like that because I've got a bit hung up about, sorry, I'm hung up in a lot of things about language around, like saying like, oh, he's a, tortured genius but she's really opinionated or mm-hmm. she's crazy and he's you know so I'm really aware but she's just ah, she just fills me with excitement about her uh, I don't know her fight for sort of truth her not being intimidated not you know really fighting for causes um I just find her really inspiring and, and she gives me so much hope, especially after, you know, we've all, not we've, I'm saying we've, we live here, but, you know, the Trump years, you know, I can all call, also call them the Boris years, the Tory years, but the Trump years in America and you just think, oh, wow, someone like her was in power. Oh, think of the good, just think of the... Oh, I don't know. I just think think of the elevation of kind of marginalised people that would just have their voice heard and then they're not looking for outlets that are damaging and dangerous like the right wing way, you know. And a lot of, or, or the way I see it is people end up getting attracted to very extreme ways because they are fed up of not having their voice heard. And it's not quite as simple as going, you're a racist. Yes, that is, you are a racist, say, but there's also in your eye, you get plenty of people who are intelligent enough not to be racist, say, but you've also got a large number of people, I believe, who are desperate, marginalised, have had no voice, have had been ignored for years and are looking for any change. And that, you know, any change is better than this now, you know, and I just... I just think like someone like Alexandra is just like a beacon of hope and if she could be president, like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'd like people to sort of aspire to being a good role model. Remember them? Mm. Remember them? <laughs> I just think now the politicians don't even care. They know that we don't, that we know it's a lie. They're not even ashamed. There's, like, it's so eroded. They don't care. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, was I here to talk about my films? I'm so sorry. No, no you're here to talk about whatever you want. Yeah. And this is I didn't know it was this. I didn't know it was this. <laughs> we basically, we say it's a, per, a, a Performing Arts Intersectional Feminist Podcast. Oh, I'll have to come back and talk about my films. Part two, where I do not get political and I talk about character studies and (laughs) how I do my process. Because I do actually have some, I don't know if they would be even helpful, but kind of tips of how I do character building and stuff like that, which might have been... (laughs) Well, I think that just. Well, that does mean that we're going to have to do a part two. Yay! Yay! Oh, I'm sorry for that one. 
No, no, because this is what happens on our podcast and that's actually what we love because we could make it really structured and we could talk about your films and all that, but actually as performers and creatives, life affects us and it, like yeah. it affects everybody and then it can seep into our art and how we see yeah. things and that's just as important. Yeah. It's so vital that um, that is heard. Yeah, yeah, and I think probably more, well, I'm saying more so than now because as we've been talking about, we're off that kind of, you know, hamster wheel of just doing your day and kind of this is how it is and we're off, you know, and you've had half a time to sit back and reflect on on top of, you know, movements like Black Lives Movement, Me Too Movement, Movement, I say that, for once in my life, I actually feel like there's change happening that hopefully could be actual change mm-hmm. and not someone in my generation who just thought we had to, you know, make ourselves a shape that fitted as best as our society was and just rail and put up with it. Like, me too has opened my eyes so much of going, oh, 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 you mean, like, it doesn't have to be like this. Like, actually, it could change. It's not like we just kind of go, and everyone goes, oh, I'd be feminist, and then we all go back to the way it was. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like changes are afoot, changes are happening, things are not being accepted as much, and it gives me hope. I've got a lot of hope. <sighs> so we'll finish on the hope rather yeah. than the rant. <laughs> uh, I did actually want to say you had a premiere for a film, your Zoom premiere last week. Was it for um, Our Ladies? No, it was actually for a film called Minari that I said I would go to. I wasn't in it actually. Oh, I thought I was like, um, oh, I was like, is it what is it? Because Our Ladies is coming out soon. Yeah, it is. It was actually I did have another premiere um, this week for uh, for Glasgow Film Festival for a film I've done called Under Gods by a director called Chino Moya, and it's like a really dark, dark. <laughs> humorous kind of dystopian tale it's kind of these vignettes of people's lives but there's little threads that kind of connect these people and but it's dark and but yeah Chino was great so that's on actually I think it might still be available uh, as part of Glasgow Film Festival but no I went to see Minari a beautiful Korean film um because it was A24 that were part of that and they were part of the witch so I'd said I would go to that. So it was fun. And we do the at-home thing. You get a box of snacks. Like, you know, we had, like, yeah. So we just ate and had fun. (laughs) One more thing before we finish, Kate. We like to ask everybody who comes on the podcast what persistent and nasty means to you. So background, the reason that we picked it was we took the quote, nevertheless, she persisted about Elizabeth Warren. And we reclaimed the word nasty because we're all about reclaiming those words because yes. he talks about Trump and he called Hillary. Yes. Oh, he called that. He calls every woman nasty. nasty. I mean, every single woman is nasty. If you're so Trump. we reclaiming that. So yeah, Kate Dickey, what does persistent and nasty mean to you? Persistent and nasty to me means living life the way you want to be, taking up the square that you inhabit and using that square and literally doing what you want to do in life. 
Um, and I don't mean that in a way of being persistent. I just mean literally like being who you are. Literally be who you are. And if people don't like it, they can fuck right off, basically. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I'm so love talking to you girls. It's like, oh God, more of this. I'm like, I talk about being antisocial and then I'm like, blah, 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 blah. So, um, no, it's great. Uh, oh, we've been talking to you. It's been fabulous. We'll definitely oh, it's been great. Yeah, we must. I'm just pacing the living room a lot so it's been interesting but lots of different stuff and I think, yeah, I didn't realise it was all inside me waiting to come out. So thank you for listening, everyone, and you. Thank you, thank you, lovely yeah. listeners. Thank you, Kate Dickey, for joining us today. And until next time, stay nasty. Yeah, I'm stay nasty. <laughs>